and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Pretty Persuasion. Hello and welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my friend and co-host Julio. Julio, 2023 rages on. We bring in yet another entry and, dare I say, one of the more interesting entries that we will have this year. It excites me slash worries me that this could set the tone for uh, the rest of uh, patron picks in 2023, especially considering that we're going to have a whole lot more of them, you know, at least in the first half of the year. Uh, but this is Ben Murray uh, just throwing something at us that I did not expect from his respectable British self. We're here today to discuss the 2005 Evan Rachel Wood, Ron Livingston, James Woods, Jane Krakowski vehicle. That is pretty persuasion. Uh, an American black comedy film directed by Marcos uh, Siega, who this was his second film, and it looks like he's only directed two films since then. Oh, wait. Marcos Siega? This movie is directed by a man? <laughs> what? <laughs> Wild, huh? I right, take that back. He's done a lot of television directing. Oh, he directed three episodes of Veronica Mars. Same tone as this movie. <laughs> some Dexter, some True Blood. Uh, the Charlie's Angels pilot from 2011. This guy's been around, man. Uh, yeah, and his uh, follow-up to this was Underclassmen, an action comedy film starring Nick Cannon, Sean Ashmore, <laughs> Kelly Hugh, and Cheech Marin. Man, uh, this guy can't pick a tone, can he? <laughs> Julio. This is brought to us by one of our wonderful patrons who has put Pretty Persuasion on the table for us. Who is the Ron Livingston lover that we have to thank for this? <laughs> Let's hope he's a Ron Livingston lover and not a James Woods lover. Yes. We'll find out because he, he sent a note to be read during Real Talk. But yeah, this is, as I mentioned, this is from Ben Murray, uh, Film Busters Ben, a man known for his exquisite taste. <laughs> He's a, a fellow Halloween fan for you. He looks down on the MCU when it comes to me. But but we have a lot of overlaps, I think, in, in when it comes to movies that we admire. And uh, he he just threw this our way without saying much other than he heard you lament the the current state of James Woods' mental health in uh recent after hours, I think. Mm. 
And so he said like, oh, well, Alex was just saying this. I made me think of this movie. And um, we'll, we'll get more into what Ben thinks of pre-persuasion. But he said, do it and we're doing it. That's that's it's it's a rotten movie, so you know it fits the rules, it fits the brief. Yeah, it fits definitely within the bounds of what we try to do here on the Contrarians. A thirty-three percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, yes, Ben Murray is uh, typically an ally of mine. I think it's probably, I think we're like at an eight out of ten. We'll agree on movies, so we'll see if we agree on this one. If it's one of the eight or one of the two, but being a thirty-three percent on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, let's just get right to it. What we do here on the contrarians as we rage against the rotten tomatoes machine that is our battle cry find a movie on rotten tomatoes that is highly rated a lot of times accompanied by that beautiful trademark logo that certified fresh and what we'll do is bring that movie down a peg or two or maybe even 10 sometimes find things in the movie that aren't that perfect that may not justify that high rating that they get be it direction bad acting poor storytelling choices bad score what have you in an attempt to say, hey, the critics might not have this one uh, completely right. And then conversely, on alternating episodes, typically we shoot for about 30% below, one of those nasty green splotches known as Rotten. And as you could guess, we make a case for the positive merit in that film. Build it up. Talk about the bold storytelling choices, the uh, good acting, underrated soundtrack, uh, good cinematography, location shots, uh, things this movie has a, a good deal of. Uh, I mean, we do this all in an attempt to say, number one, uh, this shit is subjective. You can be as over the moon about something as you want to be or as downright cynical and negative about something as you want to be if you truly set your mind to it. And then number two, something Julio and I have been talking about since we first met. The, the Rotten Tomato system is a little bit flawed and those ratings don't always tell the whole story. So we're here to do that. Uh, that all comprises the first portion of our podcast, what we refer to as Contrarian's Corner. Julio, if listeners want to know how we really feel about the movie we're discussing, they just have to tune into part two. Uh, check out the second half of the episode. That is correct. The second half of every episode, aptly titled Real Talk, that's where we tell you how we really feel. Uh, just forget about the tomato meter score. It's just our honest experience watching the movie many times, like in today's episode, uh... It's a movie that we were experiencing for the first time. Alex and I hadn't even heard of pre-persuasion before. Well, that's not true. I, I'll i get into the real talk, but I was vaguely familiar with this movie, just on a very superficial level. Uh, but yeah, it's our first time, so uh, I don't know how Alex feels. He doesn't know how I feel. And I only know that Ben feels a certain way because, like I said, he sent a message that we'll read in real talk. But for you, listeners, you're going to find out all that stuff on the second half. First... This is a rotten movie, so we're going to say really nice things about it. As much as it may pain me to say nice things about James Woods. Yeah, I had never even heard of this movie. So like when the credits were rolling, it was just unraveling more and more. Like I knew it had Evan Rachel Wood because we looked that up. And I think I knew Jane Krakowski because that might have been one of the people that accompanied her name with it. But when the credits were rolling, I was just like, man, we're we're in for at least something here. <laughs> what is this? When is this set? So being 33%, it's a movie critics didn't much care for. Uh, even though this premiered at Sundance, which, you know, is typically, that's, uh, you know, a lot of times grounds for, especially something like this, for it to come out and critics go, oh, you got to go see this. It's so daring and bold and uh, vivacious, but it didn't really work. And I assumed it was just based off of like, the uh, amount of reviews were low, but it looks like there's 80 reviews, so it's a decent pool mm -hmm. to pull from. 
an audience score of 62%, but that critical consensus, that tomato meter coming in at 33%. So Julio, what were you able to find about what the critics were saying? All right. A few rotten quotes from the Rotten Tomatoes website. You want fresh quotes? Just wait for real talk. Uh, We're going to start with Felicia Feaster from Creative Loafing, who says, Pretty Persuasion is a slutty little movie pretending to be an important one. (laughs) Jeez. Damn, Felicia. Slut shaming, literally. (laughs) From the go. Setting the tone. On the other hand, well, not on the other hand, on the same hand, Walter Chaw from Film Freak Central says, Pretty much just a geek show with a tacked on bet wedding moral. Bet wedding moral. Walter Chaw sounding like a bully <laughs> with this quote. Yeah, I'm not not quite sure Walter understood what was going on here. He goes hard when he when he doesn't like a movie. He he goes on the offensive, and uh, I guess I I respect that, but I also uh, shake my head at it a lot. <laughs> um, Ben Kennigsberg from the Village Voice says a hand grenade lobbed at no place in particular. <laughs> I've always thought that the village voice has a, a very particular way of approaching film criticism. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like a, you know, like they're the writing uh, surreal poetry. <laughs> Hang grenade, loved it no place in particular. Good it's, job, Ed. Structure it like a haiku. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and finally, Eric D. Snyder from ericdsnyder.com. What pre-persuasion seems to want most of all is to be outrageous. How is that a bad thing? Especially when it succeeds. Were you uh, outraged by while watching this movie, Alex? I mean, outrage might not be the word. I didn't know where it was going from one scene to the next uh, towards the end, but outrage is not the word. And also, I don't think that's what this movie really wants. Can you see uh, 2005 America being outraged? Pre-Trump America? Um... What was 2005 Brokeback Mountain? Yep, Brokeback Mountain was 05. Uh, okay, so 05 was the year Crash came out. So people just wanted very, very comfortable milk toast. They wanted white people solving <laughs> racism for you type thing. <laughs> well, that doesn't really happen in this movie. You get white people celebrating racism. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of safe bets that year. But yeah, that's kind of a ridiculous thing to say, especially considering movies that have come out since that are similar to this in tone that have been just, you know, profoundly applauded. So here's your first survival tip. This is Beverly Hills, so a lot of the kids that go here have rich and famous parents, and it's good to know who's who. Like, that's Josh Horowitz. His dad's the famous Laura Larry Horowitz. He defended that baseball player who killed his wife. He got him off, too. Even though we found him running around covered in blood with a baseball bat screaming, I killed the bitch! I killed the bitch! Pretty Persuasion, again, directed by Marco Siega and written by Skandar Halim. I'm trying to see what else this gentleman has put to paper. Uh, it looks Wait. Like- so the movie's also written by a man? <laughs> Unbelievable. That's a real outrage. I wonder if this is all just about a boy. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's got some writing credits to his name, but as far as like from a film perspective, looks like a lot of his writing comes from the the television field. 
So this is the story of Kimberly Joyce, a precocious, narcissistic, sociopathic high school student at Roxbury Academy, an elite preparatory school in Beverly Hills. She and her best friend, Brittany, take Randa, a new Muslim student who recently immigrated from the Middle East under their wing. Kimberly's home life is troubled. Her bigoted and disaffected father, Hank, an electronics executive, shows little interest in her life, while her vapid stepmother, Kathy, constantly attempts to reprimand her for coarse language and attitude. Kimberly dreams of becoming an actress and obtains the coveted role of Anne Frank in a school play. This is a Roadside Attractions release. You know, I'm a bit of a whore for uh, a good studio signature, so I'd like to see in that. <laughs> the uh, opening is basically the tone of the movie. Men suck as <laughs> um, Kimberly, Evan Rachel Wood, is auditioning for a part of a television show. And it's just these guys just basically eyeing her up and down the whole time. And it's going to be a, a television show where she would potentially play like this French woman who's literally just there to be eye candy. Um, the main takeaway from this opening was that Kendra Wilkinson is one of the women waiting in line and the, she's not credited in the movie. And I was just like, holy shit, that's Kendra Wilkinson. And I saw one of the comments on the IMDb page for this was like, did anyone else notice Kendra Wilkinson at the beginning? <laughs> Who is she, Alex? I'm, okay. I'm ignorant of the Wilkinson legacy. I'm, I'm guessing number one wrestler, number two porn star. Uh, somewhere in between. She was a Playboy <laughs> centerfold. Uh, do you not remember The Girls Next Door? That was like mandatory viewing. I think it came on on Sunday nights. That was in college that, so, you know. And it wasn't just dudes getting around watching it horny. I remember my roommate Ashley and some of her friends would watch that with us. It was Kendra Wilkinson, Holly Madison, and uh, Bridget something or other. They were like the three women that lived with Hugh Hefner. And it was like the story of like their life. And it was just, you know, your standard fucking trashy reality show. Um, but this must have been before that, before she like picked up any momentum or anything or became like, you know, a celebrity of the moment because she's not drawn attention to it all. She's really just an extra in the background. Um, you would probably know Holly Madison if you saw her because she kind of transferred some of her success from being a Playboy playmate into like, I think she might have done like cosmetic products or something but anyway uh nothing that puts you smack dab back more in the mid-2000s than being <laughs> reminded of the girls next door well how about uh ron livingston being billed in the opening credits before james woods what'd you think of that burger uh, <laughs> i mean that's all i can really think of uh, burger and um let me see is his name in office space is it peter i'm gonna let me see if i, I think so that sounds right let's see Office Space. Peter Gibbons. Nice. Nice. And that was, I for some reason, I always feel like Office Space is mid-90s, but it was right at the tail end of the millennium. But that's here nor there, because Ron Livingston was still, you know, cashing checks, snapping necks. He was fresh off his uh, eight-episode stretch of Sex in the City, came in here, and a bit of an interesting case with this guy. I feel like we've talked about him before on here in that... He felt he was obviously a successful actor and did a lot of high profile projects, but it never really felt like he hit the 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 next level. He never went into like overdrive or you know the next gear or whatever expression you want to use. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's an interesting thing in this movie because we're going to get into it here before too long. But this was certainly not you know what you would think of where Ron Livingston would shine. You know, being the 
the male lead in a rom-com or something like that. <laughs> well, it's, uh, <laughs> that is it, that is simplifying his character in this movie a lot. No, no, no. I'm saying that it's not that. He, he took this. He looked, oh, yeah. Okay. He took this a look at this and been like, all right, well, you know, this it's not going so far the way I thought it would. So let's do something that's either going to like, you know, really get some attention or just tank miserably. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, last time I saw Ron Livingston in the movie was Dinner with Schmucks, which I know you've seen because you brought it up before. Incorrect. But do you remember you've seen that drinking he's, buddies. In- he's Drinking Buddies. You've seen that. Okay. I said corrected. Although, no, he probably has about the same amount of screen time in both. <laughs> yeah. What I don't like now I'm trying to think in Dinner with Schmucks, he's, isn't he like the asshole nemesis of Paul mm-hmm. Rudd? Yeah. Okay. He's, he's the bad guy. Okay. He's the bad guy in this too. <laughs> I think, uh, I think that when it's all said and done, there's a fierce competition about who's the worst person in this movie. Yeah, I want to get into that. So let's set the stage here. Some of the other characters in this, I texted Julio. I'm like, holy shit, it's Troy Nelson. And he's like, I don't know who that is. And <laughs> I sent him a picture of Troy. For our Coen Brothers Inside Lewin Davis fans, Troy Nelson is the character from the military in it that Bud Grossman has a vested interest in. And you know, Lewin doesn't understand him at all. Gives him shit mm-hmm. that has the line of, what do you do now? You plug yourself in. Uh, Stark Sands is the actor's name. And in this film, he plays Troy. So there you go. <laughs> Very limited options, I guess, when you're uh, Stark Sands. But he's the ex-boyfriend of Kimberly, now dating Brittany. As you know, things get kind of murky in high school. Friends will date, uh, you know, your exes and things like that. Um the local news reporter, Emily Klein, played by Jenna Maroney, Jackie Jormjump, uh, Jane Krakowski, <laughs> who, interesting part for her here, we find out that she's like setting up, she wants to do like an expose on the life of the high school student. Because we were introduced to her kind of before any of the other characters really come into play. And uh, <laughs> she has like one of the lines I thought was so funny that I wrote down because it's positioned the way the scene is, is like, it's happening in some like government office and <laughs> she's explaining to the the gentleman behind the desk what she wants to do and he's like okay and she goes thank you mr mayor he goes uh, it's pronounced meyer and then we learn that he's like the principal of the high school <laughs> yeah so she is uh she's drew barrymore never being kissed except that she's not undercover missed opportunity with her as a movie actress i mean obviously she went on to have a literal iconic role as Jenna Maroney on uh, 30 rock. And uh, she was in that one Muppets Christmas movie. And, you know, she has plenty of credits to her name, but you watch something like this and you think it, she, she could have been a movie star, maybe not the leading lady, but definitely like a player, you know, I think once you uh starring the rural juror, like, <laughs> <laughs> all that's left is TV. Well done. Well done. And then, as we mentioned, Ron Livingston, who plays Percy Anderson in this, he is the school's English and drama teacher and seems to really enjoy his job, take it very seriously. But I think there's <laughs> terrible choice of words. I mean, it seems like he really does enjoy the academia part of it. But I mean, almost immediately we learn that this dude, uh, there's something a bit off and a bit... Um, creepy about him i guess do you do you view like whose perspective do you feel like you're watching this from because so much happens so quick in the beginning of this movie 
that you don't really know what's up and what's down. That's that's the trick of it, right? That you you're never sure what's real and what isn't. Like I think that yeah, right now we're talking about it from the perspective of having finished the movie, so we know how how quickly the truth changes. But in the first, I would say, twenty to thirty minutes when you're watching the movie, you just at least I was just taking it all at face value. You know, I never thought like, oh, maybe we're having some unreliable narrator issues, you know. Uh, so I was believing everything they told me. And it's not until we hit a certain point in the movie that you start questioning if everything that you've been told so far is is accurate. So to answer your question, now that I've seen the movie, I think <laughs> for my own sanity, <laughs> I have to assume that when we see, for example, when we see Ron Livingstone at home, Interacting with his wife, played by Selma uh, Blair. Selma Blair, yeah. Uh, well, that is the truth because that's not something that uh, Evan Rachel Wood's character is telling us. Oh God, that scene's brutal. I'm a little schoolgirl. La 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 la. I don't want to be late for class. I don't want Mr. Anderson to spank me. <laughs> It is, but that scene a hundred percent defines the character, you know, going backwards and forwards, right? Like w- once that scene happens, then everything that you see him do, you know, has this this tinge of creepiness, <laughs> more than a tinge, I would say. <laughs> uh, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, uh, it pretty much establishes that he he likes young girls. <laughs> And Brittany says, we think he's a podiatrist, obviously, (laughs) meaning to say pedophile, but accusing Berger of being a foot doctor. Now, as far as we know, he is, man, this is this tricky territory because I, you know, it's like he has a fetish, but he is not, at least as the movie opens, it's not like he's done anything to anybody. Other than, you know, Selma Blair. <laughs> he buys her, like, a skirt that makes her look like a student. Makes her read a note that was written by a student. Yeah, so, basically role-play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very brave choice for Ron Livingston to to just say, you know, this is, this is what I want to tackle next. Because it's a character that, if he doesn't play him well, it's a joke. And a joke, like a bad joke, like we're going to make fun of him. And he plays him well, we're not going to like him. So there's there's really not a winnable situation. (laughs) Everybody else kind of like comes out, like even Rachel Wood plays a pretty uh, uh, manipulative, very, uh, you know, she's she's also a villain. But she comes across uh, as, as you know, like a really good actress (laughs) And, and just somebody that really owned it. Whereas like... Ron Livingstone, he's just gonna he's playing that part that we don't want to talk about. <laughs> just wanna skip past the Ron Livingstone subplot and let's just get to to the other stuff. I appreciate this was still in the era of wearing glasses made you weird, because they just put glasses on Ron Livingston to, you know, he's a hunk, but then he puts his glasses on, he's like, ooh, this guy <laughs> maybe trying to mack on these high school girls. Uh, now of course we know glasses make you hotter, so Thank God that worked out. But it's not just him. I mean, it's uh, his friend, his his buddy, who's also a teacher there, right? He's uh, more of a, in some ways, more of a creep. I mean, they're both fucking degenerates, but uh, that dude's, 
I think the difference is that dude just seems like an idiot, whereas Ron Livingston at least has somewhat of a head on his shoulders. Yeah, I mean, he's married to Selma Blair, so he has to keep it together. God fucking bless. Roger, uh, a clueless high school law teacher who passed the bar. Uh, That's his friend here who's just an imbecile. Uh, Cinematically, though, you know, we're talking about there's a school play going on and what Kimberly wants is to be cast as Anne Frank. There's this awesome shot of... Uh, like behind the casting sheet and we're seeing people react to it. It's, I, I mm-hmm. thought, thought that was excellent. Uh, so she gets the part of Anne Frank, which her friend Brittany wanted. So this, of course, begins some strife and turmoil between the two, but it's quickly resolved as Evan Rachel Wood, Kimberly assures her that, you know, there's no harm, no foul, and this will be fine. <laughs> and then they part by saying, down with Nazis. Uh, <laughs> Percy keeps Kimberly and Randa for after school detention for disrupting class and forces Kimberly to write a note talking about, you know, her her bad doings, her bad deeds, that type of thing. But she oversees and the next office over him putting his hands on Randa and really it's a hand on the shoulder, uh the move or the finger under the chin to make the them look up and make eye contact regardless uh inappropriate not something that a fucking male teacher should be doing to a female student i think that's pretty pretty standard um the worst part is that he closes the blinds <laughs> yes it my note just says burgers up to no good <laughs> it's true and you know up till before he closes the blinds you could say oh maybe she's misunderstanding what she's seeing yeah but then closing the blinds is like an admission of guilt. That's uh, the whole thing. Like we do find out later in the movie, she kind of misinterpreted. He should have never put his hands on her in the first place, but he, she did misinterpret what the conversation happening was. But then this fucking idiot just closes the blinds. So he, you know, <laughs> looks like a, a criminal, a podiatrist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Randa is our, our introduction. She helps us be introduced into this world. This is uh it's it's the the high school movie scene where we're giving a tour of the high school and pointed you know they point the clicks and the the important characters we're gonna see throughout the movie and that's what uh you know before they get detention Evan Rachel Wood just does this and it was you know it, it feels like we've done over our run here the contrarians we've done a number of movies that that fit that mold that do the sequence the different degrees of uh, success and I was like you can't watch this without thinking of Heathers, of Mean Girls, even Jawbreaker. Yeah. You know, which we covered on and Patron. And uh I was I was like, that's the evolution, I think. You know, like Heathers walked so Mean Girls could run, so pre-persuasion could fly. And Jawbreaker just gonna watch from the sidelines. <laughs> and Neon Demon just kind of <laughs> jacked off in the corner. <laughs> Yes. We get our introduction to Kimberly's parents, Hank, played by James Woods, and Kathy, played by Jamie King. If you think you've been able to kind of keep up with this, it does kind of have like a Mean Girls feel at the beginning, which Mean Girls, we would have been just, I think, a year removed from that. And Mm -hmm. where she's shown around the school, it's like, oh, don't talk to that guy. It's it's kind of fun and light uh, until she calls out the one student that sells guns. And it's like, Jesus Christ, dude. And obviously, that's a very bleak joke to make in 2005. And obviously, it's not aged any better. 
Uh, it's but one it of, pays off. It does. It's not like a random. So I, I appreciated that because I had the same reaction. And then I could not believe that the last, I don't know, five minutes of the movie paid that off. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Jesus Christ, this movie, dude. Uh, it, one of the things that's like the sub story throughout it is a school shooting happened um, at a nearby school. Uh, big tragedy there. And that seems to be like fresh on the minds of everybody. But even still could kind of see this as being uh i don't want to say like clueless but kind of a light high school movie with a bit more of a mature possible drama to it and then we get to the scene here with their parents and it's just kind of like all right even though this movie's been you don't know what's coming this is where you just kind of throw your hands up and like man what are they doing with us here this is out of control because we get james woods the director and writer here uh, uh siga and uh, halim Warning us about what's to come with James Woods as he's just unleashing dangerous rhetoric and uh, racist <laughs> anti-Semitic statements, paying no attention to the world around him. There is a difference between bona fide racism and just speaking the truth, which is what I'm doing here. You understand that, right? A big difference. Do you think that the script, if you get like, if you download the screenplay for pre-persuasion, when you get to that page, it just says like, "Let James Woods talk." Jim, <laughs> Jim speaks. That's all it says. Cut him loose. Uh, it's uh, it's wild. I I can't make up a mind to decide if uh, if James Woods' current standing when it comes to you know, the world, if it benefits the movie or if it harms it. You know what I mean? Like, So the- I think he is fucking hilarious in some parts of this movie. None of like the racist or anti-Semitic stuff really made me laugh. But like he has a few moments in this that are genuinely really funny in a way he can only deliver lines. But watching this now, obviously, like that thing I just said about the buying a gun at school, not aging well. Knowing what we know about James Woods now, uh, does it intensify the comedy or does it make it like watching it, you know, through your fingers type thing? I think it detracts from his performance, which is a shame. Because I think, like, politics aside, (laughs) unhinged Twitter rants aside, James Woods is a good actor. A great actor sometimes, even. He, uh, He played Hades in Disney's Hercules. I mean, that's just like top of the mountain, right? Videodrome, dog. Uh, yes, that too. I mean, Cronenberg is not Disney, but still, it's, it's right there. Uh, upper echelon. And but, his Simpsons role as himself is also great. Just had to get that in there. Well, the thing is that because this his performance here seems to be so close to his now public persona, it's very easy to, to kind of like fall into the trap of thinking – well, he's not even acting. He's just being himself. And so, you know, it'd be opposite. It'd be very different if you had somebody like, let's say Chris Evans, just to pull a name that's, like, you know, if you had Chris Evans play this part, exact same dialogue, all that stuff, and he pulled it off, you would be amazed. You, yeah. You would think, man, give this man a supporting actor Oscar. Uh, but you see James Woods doing it, and you just, it's it's almost underwhelming. It just feels like exactly what you would expect from him because of the image that he has now for people like us. I wonder what the experience of watching this movie is if you're a hardcore Republican. You probably don't even make it to this scene. Oh, no. 
you're out already. <laughs> the moment she bends to get that to pick up that baguette, you're out. <laughs> you're off to talk to the manager. You see uh, Kendra Wilkinson, like, oh, she's from the Devil Show from the mid two thousands. But anyway, that is this is not the movie's fault. They cast an actor that's a good actor, and then history happened <laughs> years later. So. But still, you know, it's like when you watch it today. It, it, but I have to keep my head in the game and be like, yeah, it, it is a good performance. Let's let's assume that it's a good performance. Even if even if he was just playing himself, it still it works in the movie because the whole point is that you should be uh, horrified. It's not looking good. It seems like Kimberly's already just processing or you know brewing up some bad shit to happen. My note says, is she going to kill people? Um. <laughs> The aforementioned Selma Blair shows up. I I applaud silently as I watch this movie because God bless Selma Blair. This is where we learn kind of Anderson's kink when he's into. He buys his wife for her birthday a skirt and they role play a teacher student type thing. And he makes her read a, a note about being bad that we come to find out later Kimberly wrote. So there's this whole extra level of like, ew. We don't know it right here. It's already kind of mm-hmm. ew. It's like, ew. And then later it's like, ooh, man, what the fuck? This is this is talent because it's it, you're right, it's one of the most uncomfortable scenes in the movie, but it's also funny. I mean, it's really funny in a fucked up way, but uh because Selma Blair even brings it up. She's like, Oh look, I look just like those students at your school. And uh Ron Livingston's reaction is like, uh, really? <laughs> oh yeah. He starts laughing. Like he has a, <laughs> and then his face gets really serious. And he like takes his glasses off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the three girls, Kimberly, Brittany, and Randa, have a sleepover. They watch porn, smoke cigars, eat Twinkies. Um, it's kind of at this point, it's revealed they all share an eating disorder, which is obviously very unfortunate. This, I don't know, you know. That word triggering for some people of past trauma of any kind of walk. I think this this movie needs to come with a warning. Like we'll talk about this more in the second half, but you know, recommending this movie to someone needs to come with like a big blanket statement of like, hey, it includes all these things. Uh, one of which is watching porn together with your buddies. Is that ever happening in Peru? You and the boys ever watch porn at a sleepover or anything? You know, I like. Off the top of my head, I think that we might have done it once, mm-hmm. and it was just kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I was like, let's not do this again. Question for you. Uh, do you think it's supposed to be kind of tongue-in-cheek that Evan Rachel Wood's supposed to be 15 in this movie? Is it supposed to be kind of funny? Are they supposed to look older than 15 in this, or is it, do you think that doesn't play into it at all? Because I really couldn't tell if that's supposed to be part of the joke, because she's clearly like, I think she's like 20 or 21 at the time of this movie. I hadn't considered that. I, I so because I have two answers to the question: one for real talk and one for Contrarian's Corner. <laughs> so, in Contrarian's Corner, I can tell you this: I think that it's uh, that's one of the movie's strengths. I think just how bold it is when it comes to tackling uh, teenage sexuality. You know, it's something that, funnily enough, it came up during our uh, Grease Two episode. <laughs> Yeah, because you know, Grease Two is set well, in, in that high movie, school. It is supposed to be funny because Shooter McGavin's like right. forty in that movie. <laughs> exactly, but but the 
but what we brought it up in the discussion is that, you know, because that movie is all about sex. And uh, it's not that, I guess, jarring because, yeah, you're seeing adults. I mean, we, we also brought it up during uh, the Linklater movie, uh, Days and Confused. Right, like it's yeah, uh, yeah. that there were some things that were like kind of that took you off because you know some of the girls look really young compared to the guys that look really old or you know definitely not teenagers and so uh, I think that there's always an, an element of uh, in the real world sexuality when you're growing up as a teenager it's like it's a thing so there's that and I think that uh, predictably unsurprisingly you know most movies stay away from that or kind of like sanitize the experience because in a way, you know, nobody wants to, you know, go to the movies to see teenagers being sexual, you know, it, uh, because it's, it's really hard to pull off. And this movie, I don't want to say that it gives no fucks about it. It's, it's more like, I think that this movie has things to say and in order to say them, it needs to sexualize every character <laughs> in it, including the teenagers. So, you're not going to see it, uh, you know, in mainstream movies. And I think it opens you to a lot of criticism if you don't pull it off. But overall, I think that it's very much the point or one of the points of the movie that she is 15. Okay, look, I'm really trying, but I don't know how to be sexy. I mean, I'm only 15. It's okay. It's okay, dear. <laughs> so what they drudge up here is that they are going to accuse Mr. Anderson of sexually harassing each of them. And they know he's a teacher, so he's not gonna be able to, they first don't think it's going to go to trial, but then we learn, you know, he's a teacher. So they're not worried about him being able to get a high price lawyer. So his dumbass friend, Roger, who he referenced earlier, ends up acting as attorney just because he passed the bar. I think he says in 1996 or something like that. Um, you know, actually I guess Evan Rachel Wood always counted on it going to trial. Oh yeah, she did. Because the the end of this movie does have like, it's a backtrack. It's like a twelve monkeys type thing of all the stars <laughs> aligning. Um, Kaiser Sosa is revealed to be Evan Rachel Wood. Exactly. But as it goes to trial, well, first of all, there's a fantastic uh, scene of Selma Blair sitting with Ron Livingston talking to their friend Roger, and she's like, "How can these three girls just besmirch the reputation of?" <laughs> You know, an upstanding man like my husband, something like that. And Rod Livingston goes, God, that was a good use of besmirch. It's a <laughs> really funny moment. <laughs> but uh, we get some really unhinged James Woods where he tells his daughter, like, you know, you better not be making this up because I don't want a reputation for having. He basically he calls her like a slut or a whore for a daughter or something like that. And uh, he also we see him like jacking off under his underwear when he's on the phone with a sex line and doing coke wearing sunglasses indoors with an open robe he's he's just unhinged man it's uh, also a fearless performance as they like to say <laughs> it it certainly is uh, because this is you know this this is a step up even if you think of his twitter persona now i mean twitter is just words on your screen this is this is him it's a, it is not a flattering picture even if you uh you know, okay, let's say that what he's saying is how the real James Woods thinks. Uh, the way he looks, the way he's portrayed physically is just gross. And I think even James Woods is, is off his rocker as he is in, in, in the real world. Even he probably has to know that this is, you know, that he, he looks disgusting. 
I don't think that he may be proud of the things that he says, but there's no way that he's proud of the way he looks. And so that is a, a kind of like a a very generous performance in that sense that he's just like there's no vanity. He's just like this is the way that the character needs to look. Uh, gross. Incredible shot of him, though. I think it's at the first scene in the trial. It's it's when Kimberly's testifying. There's like this panning shot, and you see him behind the uh, prosecuting attorney, and he's got like a newspaper open in front of him. And then you see that he's asleep, and then he like jolts forward. He's like, huh? and then he wakes up. <laughs> uh, but when it gets to trial, it becomes kind of a a retelling of some of the events we didn't see in the movie. One of them being that. Uh, she being Kimberly was removed as Anne Frank in the play because uh, she was caught talking to one of her classmates, uh, a Jewish classmate who has a father for a lawyer as a fucking slur dog. Can't get away with that shit. There are consequences. <laughs> shouldn't. You shouldn't get away with that shit. Sadly, some people do. Here's the movie again being really clever about it because she gets in trouble. Like the movie makes the point that it is. You know, she did something wrong. She gets punished for it, even though the reason behind the punishment is more of a PR reason, right? The the principal, because he knows that the reporter is there, and he just doesn't want any to court any uh, potential scandal. But then, what follows? What this leads to is a, a scene between uh, Evan Rachel Wood and and the classmate that she had offended, and she apologizes, and then he actually reacts positively. They're friendly towards each other. You know, it's like there, there's an apology and then... They, oh, there, there's some sexual tension in the air, too. <laughs> yes. I mean, that that eventually leads to actual sex. But the, I guess I was expecting him to not take the apology because that's what you expect from a teenager. But instead, he is uh, receptive to it and even acknowledges that, yes, his, his father does let criminals go free. <laughs> As a but, lawyer. Then, but then he also calls out that his dad isn't he's very um generous he, with his he, money he overspends <laughs> he's like he has like three sports cars and he bought me a rare dog that only eats tuna fish and the principal's like get the fuck out of my office <laughs> uh, but yeah that's a that's a point where the movie surprised me and it's really uncomfortable to hear her say that slur, but you kind of need it to get to that scene, and you need that scene for everything else to play out the way that it plays out. So, again, just massive props to the way that this story is structured. So the trial is brutal. We The recountings we get from uh, Kimberly and Randa and then Brittany also who tells the story of being like victimized in a play rehearsal to the point of like, you know, it seemed like fucking Burger was getting his rocks off to this. It's a r- really uncomfortable scene. I appreciate um, that you keep calling him Burger uh, throughout this recap yeah. because it really takes the edge off. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. Some actors are just stuck with some roles forever. Like um, Kristen Bell is always going to be Sarah Marshall. In this case. <laughs> For um, you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. I should specify for me. Yes. <laughs> Mickey Rourke. Even if I call him Mickey Rourke, it'll usually be accompanied by the Ram. And in this case, Ron Livingston is always Burger. But yeah. we, we know these are lies. They're telling, uh, or at least exaggerations of the truth. But we're seeing you know, some of the scenes that were vague earlier being played out for us. And 
there's no it, it, this is not a case of Percy Anderson being completely innocent. He's obviously up to no good and a, a dirty man. So it's a it puts you as an audience member in a uh, a fascinating position as as a viewer just to realize like there's no one to root for here. Yeah, and this one in particular, it's uh I think that this one's pretty clear that what we see happening is pretty close to what happened because there's so many witnesses. You know what I mean? Like even even his own lawyer, his friend, is like in the back. <laughs> so it's a it's that that's a story that happens in public. And uh, Evan Rachel Wood is there. Ron Livingston is there. His buddy's there. I guess the boyfriend, uh, Josh, is there. So everybody sees uh, Brittany being humiliated. And at at the best, like if you want to be charitable <laughs> about the Ron Livingston character, he is just really clumsy in handling. Uh, a really bad situation. When one of them quotes him as saying, I'm going to touch your boobs, he stands up and says, I wouldn't say boobs. I'd say breasts or bosom. <laughs> not, the, not the words of a guy who's completely innocent. Uh, no. <laughs> now, it's no surprise that, jumping ahead a little bit, no surprise that Selma Blair leaves him. <laughs> I know. We needed more Selma Blair in this movie, but he couldn't even handle that. She just storms out on him. Now, speaking of not completely innocent, uh, to the point of being downright guilty, uh, Jackie Jump, Jump, Jenna Maroney is the reporter that's extensively covering the case because it's obviously a fucking media bonanza there in Beverly Hills. She's a local lesbian reporter. And shortly after the trial begins, she's played and basically wooed and enticed to Kimberly via Kimberly quoting the porn they watched earlier. <laughs> The line was, I, you know, I can't, I like cock too much, but sometimes I need the touch of a woman, something like that. Uh And Jenna is just, you know, blasting out of her pants at this. And we get a scene in which they have a sexual encounter. Um, I was like shocked because the way that it's framed throughout the movie is there are these shots of characters and we mm-hmm. see them was, from the, I was going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's an overhead shot of a character laying down on their back in a bed with the, it's the shot of them from the waist up pretty much. And, you know, we get to see multiple people's O faces in this, uh, to cite a different Ron Livingston movie. <laughs> and so when it's Jenna Maroney, you know, we see her and her camera woman earlier in the movie, like, uh, they, they're canoodling. And then Evan Rachel Wood comes up and like, you can kind of see it coming, but I was shocked. Like I was like, my thought was when they showed that is there's no way the movie's going to go here. Yep. And you know what? The movie Dawn Gun there. <laughs> yes. Uh, which when it happens, you just go, of course, because that's that's where the movie's been heading the entire time. I mean, it's, it's it, you know, it keeps escalating and it's... Uh, boldness in the way it depicts things and yeah it it wasn't going to at this point <laughs> this late in the proceedings it wasn't going to shy away from having a a sexual relationship between adult and adult reporter and a teenage student i mean that is just and it's played for uh not even for laughs it's just more like it's it's played to advance the plot <laughs> you know what i mean like it, it's played it's not, for hey this thing happened yeah, yeah, it's not played as in like, oh, this is gotta be sexy, uh, and it's also not played as a comedy. It's just played because this needs to be there in order for 
the the ending to work out the way it does. <laughs> like again, like many things that happen in this movie, it's just part of the puzzle. <laughs> You've never seen one of those before. Silly girl. I have one. Oh, right. Josh Zuckerberg resurfaces. As we mentioned earlier, his uh, dad is a famous local attorney. And he convinces his dad to help represent Mr. Anderson because his attorney's an idiot. and He knows he's innocent. He asks him to do it pro boner is what he says. And, and But he says it with such like conviction and like, you know, honesty. It's, it's pretty funny. So he takes the case and on his first day, he's going to cross examine Brittany. And as he goes up to question her, we get a flashback to when the actual plan was devised. And uh, one, Randa has a great line of. Uh, Kimberly asks, you know what makes America great? And she goes, Sylvester Stallone? Uh, <laughs> and explains, you know, what they're going to do. They devise this evil plan. And Brittany goes, okay, well, I, well, I have to testify because as you know, I'm no good under pressure. And then it just title card and we're back. And before the lawyer can even say anything, she just lets it all out. She says it's a lie. Every word of it's a lie. In one moment, it brings up a really questionable choice and story of this because it's one of those things of well what are we trying to say here because these victims lied and you know this discredits other people who have legitimate cases of abuse and that type of thing yep but it's also it's set up so brilliantly from a comedic standpoint because it's literally it's the norm mcdonald thing where the setup and the punchline are the same thing it's her explaining i don't do good under pressure and then you get the title card of uh, let's see if she's good under pressure, basically. <laughs> and then there's no pressure and she like, you know, just completely breaks. So it's not often, regardless of how you feel about the what they're saying here, the what they're presenting, that I come across a scene like this that is pulled off perfectly from a comedic standpoint, but also is like filled with so many questions and like... um a loaded approach. You know what I mean? Like there's just so much going on here. Yeah. That because it's exactly what you said. And I think that much like the, the James Woods performance or James Woods casting, I did something else where I am torn between what time has done to that specific aspect of the movie. Now that we're in the, the me too era or the post me too era, you know, and it stands out even more that a movie would uh, would go there would basically be about three women lying about sexual assault, and uh, to its credit, the movie acknowledges it. Like the, the movie has the the Jenna Maroney character explicitly tell Evan Rachel Wood, "Do you have any idea how much damage you've done?" <laughs> you know, beyond the beyond ruining Ron Livingston's reputation and making him lose Selma Blair, and that's. It's a big swing, and uh, I think that you're right. There's a lot happening the moment that they admit their guilt, and I think that reveal, it certainly opens a conversation <laughs> that obviously needed to be had you know, in America, in the entire world, and uh, it, I, I feel like it didn't really come to the forefront until, what, uh, almost two decades later? But it's... It's complicated because when you look at it now, it you can't help but feel like I wish I hadn't done that <laughs> because it's just so uh, it's not quite the movie that we needed 
but back in 2005, you know, the, the, it, was, it was kind of a different context, I guess. You had to get the conversation started somehow. And yeah, she confronts her about it and says, you know, fuck you. Can't believe you did this. And then she reveals, well, I videotaped us having sex, so you are going to continue to support me publicly or I will turn you in to, you know, your boss, the authorities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, probably the hardest I laughed in the entire movie, though, is after she reveals that it's all a lie. Robert Joy, uh, Larry Horowitz is his character's name, says no further questions. And it's just quiet in the court. And then James Woods stands up in the back and just goes <laughs> cocktails and leaves. <laughs> I laughed extremely hard at that. I thought that you were going to tell me that it was the, I think it might be like a previous scene. There's a moment where there's a, a really bad joke and one of the jurors laughs. And I was like, oh, it's that trope that Alex likes where somebody makes a, a really awkward joke and one person. I do. You're right. That's a good call. I do enjoy that. But that part was just I I didn't include that because it was so fucking gross and just vile that I didn't want to repeat that. <laughs> I don't remember what the joke is. I just remember the, the punchline, I guess, or the, the bit of the with the juror laughing. Um, well, bile and gross. I mean, it's it's kind of like what this movie is going for intentionally. You know, I think that if if you get to the end of this movie and you're not disturbed, shaken by by the things that are happening, the things that are revealed, then the movie didn't do its job. So that's that's good. It's true. Uh, unfortunately, we take one last really dark turn before the end of the movie, and Rando ends up uh, where Rando pays off what Julio mentioned earlier in the movie with the student who sells guns. She obviously goes and buys one and sadly commits suicide uh, in the classroom where she had detention initially writing on the blackboard. I think it was, we are all sinners. She writes. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And Evan Rachel Wood kills her dad's dog, which I of course did not care for at all. Um, oh, I completely missed that. She takes the pills that her dad threw at her. And told her to like fuck off, and she opens the bottle and just dumps them all out at her feet, and the dog starts eating them. I saw that happen. It didn't register that that was going to kill the dog. I was just like, "Oh, she's just getting rid of his pills." Like I wasn't. Uh, <laughs> I was more concerned about James Woods. <laughs> I th- I think that's the implication, and if so, not cool. That's fucked up because it was her dog. Although I guess. She never really showed any. She didn't show like like she cared much. Yeah, and obviously James Woods loved it, and more than her. So, uh, but before we can get out of there, did you catch the the one last cameo that we get in this? Uh, is it <laughs> how appropriate? Because we just saw her also basically in a cameo in being John Malkovich. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rob Zombie's Halloween Two's <laughs> Octavia Spencer. <laughs> This is how this is her side business, you know. She'll have her starring roles that get her Oscar nominations, and then she every now and then she'll pop up in a movie for one scene with one line of dialogue. With the trial the way it went, and Kimberly then becoming the it girl, you know, handling the the shaming and such grace, I guess you say. She ends up getting that part on the soap opera that she auditioned for at the beginning of the movie. Uh, the movie concludes with Brittany coming over and Kimberly admitting to her the whole reason she did this was because, you know, uh, Troy Nelson went with her instead. It was all over a boy. And that's literally what Brittany says. This is all over a boy. 
And so Randa killed herself and every war has its casualties. Uh, as she says, just ask my brother who we find out was a member of the military that went over to Iraq and died. And that's something I think we'll talk about more in the second half because it doesn't really play into what we're doing here, but um, calls her a psycho storms out and leaves. And the movie ends with Kimberly watching herself on TV and crying first. She watches the uh, school shooter emotionless talk about mowing down all his classmates and she has no reaction to that, but seeing herself on TV brings her to tears. It's a very so is un- it a single tear, Alex? Does a, she do a Denzel or it starts as a single tear, but then she does the thing where she lets him well up and then she blinks very dramatically, so they roll down both cheeks. Uh it's a very unsettling way to finish the movie. I think it tells you that she is like she's aware of what she's become. You know, like, at least that's how I read it. She sees what she's accomplished and what and she doesn't feel joy at it. Instead, she feels all this misery at, you know, was it all worth it? And I think the answer is no. Uh, I would also call out that before she sees the shooter on TV, she grabs a copy of uh, the diary of Anne Frank with a dedication from her brother, which is something that she had told uh, Ron Livingstone uh, you know, she's like, my brother left me a copy of the Diary of Anne Frank before he left, and that's why I won the part. And Ron Livingstone thought that she was bullshitting, as I think most of the audience would, because by na- by then we know that she's manipulative and that she likes to, you know, make up stories and to to, to further her standing. And that's a big reveal that suddenly you see that no, she was not lying. That that book is there, and it's you know next to the picture of her brother. So it makes you wonder, okay, well, how much of what she said is true? How much of what she said was only a slight exaggeration? I mean, it's. I think it's. It's. it says something that we know that it's true that she has a book, but we really don't know how much she actually cares, if she actually cares or if the book is just a prop for her. Um, it's really complex. And it's. I, I think that the one thing we haven't done during Contrast Corner, and I don't want to end it without doing it, is praising Evan Rachel Wood's performance because she's at the center of this movie and mm-hmm. she is uh, uh, you know we were giving props to Ron Livingstone for taking that character and taking a role that's so off-putting but she does the same thing in a way I mean she she kind of comes out on top but I wouldn't blame any actress for reading this part and going no you know what I don't want to <laughs> I'll do something else instead <laughs> Uh, and, but yeah, she pulls it off, and then by the end, when when she's crying and looking, basically looking at the camera, it's uh, it's powerful. It is. It's a unsettling but fitting way to conclude this fucking tornado of a movie. A tornado given to us by a patron. So we'll we'll, we'll hear what it. he has to say. Yes, <laughs> we'll hear what he has to say uh, once we get to real talk. Are you ready for that, Alex? I am. Let's move it along. Hello? Kimberly, hi, it's Barry. Hi, Barry. I haven't seen you lately. Um, I've actually been thinking... How can I put this tactfully? Barry, I never really liked you all that much, and I think we should break up. Barry? It always goes down easy. What? That was one of the reasons why beer is better than a woman. Oh. If it's flat, you can throw it out. Okay, Barry, um... You don't have to wash it before it tastes good. 
I really gotta go, okay? It's always wet. There.